Before I read this passage, let me just say it's a delight to be with you. Really enjoyed the drive here. It was very beautiful, very restful, and uh, delight to worship with you folks, brothers and sisters in Christ. So thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. I will be focusing my sermon, focusing my message on verses 14 through 29, and especially that verse, I believe, help my unbelief. Before we read and proclaim God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Lord, you have inspired these words. They are your word to us. You are present with us. You give us this out of your love, your desire that we would be strong and faithful and courageous and hopeful. We pray then that you will bless the proclamation of the word and open our hearts to what you have to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark 9, verse 2, hear the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. They were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked them, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Thus far the reading of God's word. I invite you to be seated. Friends, this was quite a day for the Savior that we just read about here in this passage. It begins with that scene that is really too glorious for words. Jesus up there on the mountain with three much-loved disciples, where he's greeted by the two towering figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Not only so, but The glory of Christ becomes evident. The glory that had been so hidden up till now becomes evident to these disciples as he's transfigured. And then his father speaks to him. The father speaks to him from heaven to affirm him, to affirm his mission. What a revelation to the disciples that were around there. And what a reassurance to the one who had come to fulfill the law that Moses stood for, the prophets that Elijah stood for. What reassurance to him in his mission. So there he is. It's a mountaintop experience. I'm sure that's where we get that phrase. Then he goes down the mountain. And the tranquility gives way to chaos. There's bickering, there's frustration, there's desperation, there's demonic power clearly evident. I want to focus on what goes on there at the foot of the mountain. And I want to think about three groups of people that are gathered there at the foot of the mountain, namely the scribes, the disciples, and the father of this demon-possessed son. 
And more specifically, we're going to focus in on the faith or the lack of faith or faith and unbelief at the very same time that is present among these people. And, as Ian has already alluded to, is present also in us. I'm going to note three things. First, the need for faith. Second, the challenges to faith. And third, the nurturing of that faith. So first then, the need for faith. That begins with the desperate human need that has led there to be such a stir there at the bottom of the mountain, at the base of the mountain. That need is pictured in the plight of the boy and his father. I see some younger people with us here this morning, some kids, some teens, and I'm sure fathers. Can you just even imagine what this scene is like? This lad, we don't know how old he is. He's not a real small child anymore, but this lad, this boy, is plagued by an evil spirit that will not leave him alone. And the spirit not only makes this boy deaf and mute, can't hear and he can't speak, but it causes him periodically to have these horrendous seizures that throw him on the ground, make him all rigid, he loses control of his body. It's very humiliating for this boy. He's convulsing, rolling on the ground, foaming at the mouth, but it's more than humiliating. It's dangerous because the spirit's aim is to destroy this boy. And so he casts the boy sometimes into fire and sometimes into water. How awful that is. Yeah, it is awful. And we say, well, thank the Lord. I don't have that to deal with. But, on the other hand, his plight is really no more awful than the plight confronting the disciples and the scribes and you and me. For one thing, this is a fallen world. And we are confronted over and again with the evidence of that fallenness, with the illness, with physical and emotional illnesses and injuries. We're confronted with broken relationships. We're confronted with stresses on every side. And, of course, we're confronted eventually, all of us, every single one, with death. But not only so, the evil one who so hated this boy and his father hates us. Now, that may sound like really strong language, and you may say, I don't know of anybody who really hates me. You know, there are people around me that would don't care much for me or whatever, but they don't downright hate me, could I be somebody that's the object of hatred? Well, I want to say yes. Indeed, you and I are the object of Satan's hatred. And he uses different tactics than he did 
with this boy, but he wants to degrade us too and make us far less than the beautiful image bearers of God that we should be and could be. He wants to degrade us. He leads us into attitudes and behavior that he is quite sure will bring the judgment of God on us. Ha ha. See what you did. Now look what's coming to you is the devil's attitude. He frankly wants to destroy us. So yes, there is need. Whether you sense it this morning or don't sense it this morning, there is need fully as much as this father had with his son. Thankfully, there is also Jesus. Mark presents Jesus as both willing and able to help. He's willing, I say, to help. Sure he is. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there at the foot of the mountain. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come from heaven at all in the first place. And once he was here and saw how problem, all the problems around Now that he's up on the mountain, he would have stayed there. He would have taken the suggestion of Peter. Built tents and camped up there. But he didn't. He came down off the mountain into the chaos and the desperation at the foot of the mountain. Yes, Jesus is willing to help. He is willing to help. Let me put that in the present tense and say that means For us. Let that truth wash over you again and again as we approach the Christmas season again. Remember his coming. Jesus is willing, eager to help. Moreover, he's able to help. He's able to help because he has divine power, all wisdom, unlimited. But more than that, Perhaps you remember what Jesus was talking about with Moses and Elijah up there on the mountain. Luke tells us they were talking about the death of Jesus that was soon to take place. And Jesus alludes to that as he's coming down the mountain with the disciples. He's going to die and then he's going to rise again. The road down the mountain leads all the way to the cross and there Jesus mortally wounded the evil one. By his death, he destroyed the power of the evil one. He satisfied the judgment of God. He laid the foundation for a new creation where there is evil no more. Jesus is able to help. He has done everything necessary and is fully able to help. He helped this poor lad. He is able to help you and me. There is us in our need. There is Jesus willing, able to help. But there's something necessary to connect the two. And you know that that is faith. We need to believe. We need to believe that the very Son of God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We need to believe that he perfectly obeyed the law of God at every turn and he did everything that was necessary to pay for the fact and atone for the fact that we do not do the law, obey the law of God 
as we should. We need to believe that he rose bodily from the dead and is now at the right hand of his Father and willing and able to save, to save not just lots of people, but we need to believe that he is willing and able to save us. Me, put your name in there. He's able and willing to save me. This faith unites us with Jesus. It makes us one with him. And so, by that faith, his blessings flow into our lives as we wait upon him, as we walk in his ways. That's why Jesus says to the Father, all things are possible for one who believes. One who believes in him, of course. Faith, as such, has no magical power. But faith unites us with the one who does have the power and the wisdom and the love to do all things. So all things become possible for those who have faith and only for those who have faith. Without faith directed towards Jesus, without faith that is personal, me and him, without that, there is no help and there is no hope. The question then is whether these three groups of people at the foot of the mountain will believe. And the question is, of course, whether you and I will believe. As we see, faith does not come easily, at least not in its full-grown, mature form. That's my second point, the challenges to faith. The scribes, for example, do not believe at all. We read that they were arguing with the disciples. And it's easy to imagine the scenario here. This father had brought his boy to where he thought he would find Jesus. He had heard that the disciples were there. Jesus was somewhere around. He comes, hoping that Jesus maybe can help. The disciples say, well, Jesus is not here right at the moment, but we probably can help you. And the scribes are there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they'll be able to help, sure. This boy with all of his problems, this Jesus, he's supposed to be able to help this? Yeah, I don't think so. The scribes are arguing that Jesus is a fake, he's an imposter. From other passages, we know why they don't believe. They're, they're wanting to trust their own efforts to keep Old Testament laws to keep the other laws that they had added to those Old Testament laws. Moreover, they were sure that they were descendants of Abraham, and that meant that they needed nothing else. They did not need this Jesus. If God was going to come and the Messiah was going to come, certainly he would not come in this form, in the form of Jesus. Well, my question for you is, are you like them? 
Are you trusting your good works? Certain that God will bless you and help you because, after all, you're an upstanding citizen and an all-around good Jane, good Joe, person who lives a clean life, person who's generous, kind, a decent human being. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, that's where the scribes were. They didn't believe that they needed this Jesus. They cut themselves off from the only source of help. And I just urge you today, don't do that. Don't follow in their footsteps and dismiss Jesus. But what about the disciples? Clearly, they had a level of faith. They had left everything to follow Jesus after all. They had seen his power on display a number of times. They had listened joyfully to his teaching. Just one chapter before this in the Gospel of Mark, he records the question of Jesus, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the same guy that's up there on the mountain fumbling around, Peter answers without hesitation, You are the Christ. And Matthew notes the full reply that Peter gave, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right on, Peter. That's faith. And yet, when the man brings his son, these disciples with that testimony of faith are not able to help him. They could not cast out the demon. They had done so before. I want to remind you of that. Jesus had sent them out previously with a commission to go out And part of that commission was to cast out demons. And they had been able to do that, but now not. Why the failure? Jesus tells them later, they had not prayed. That is to say, they had not looked to God specifically for the help that they needed at that moment and at that time you get the feeling that the disciples are resting on what they had done in the past. They had forgotten that solid faith is a continuing dependence on God and on his Son. So what about the Father then? We find him betwixt and between. Unlike the scribes, he is open to believing. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't be there at all. Unlike the disciples, he's not yet been able to trust Jesus and to realize how much power Jesus has. For him, the issue is, I'm not sure whether Jesus really can do this or not. And his case is a tough one. Brothers and sisters, let's be realistic about it. Jesus doesn't minimize that. He actually encourages the Father to spell out the seriousness of the situation. Jesus already knew, but he said, you know, how long has your boy been troubled like this? And the man tells the sad story. He spills it out. He's been tormented from childhood. 
from the time that he was three and four and five, the personal representative of the realm of darkness has seized him. The devil, the demon has seized him. Often, he says. And you can hear the man's anguish and, and, and how he had to keep an eye on this boy all the time. He could never rest. He could never relax. Or the demon would take the boy and throw him into the fire or into the, into the water or some other place where he would be injured. Is Jesus strong enough to handle something like this? A demon? Faith is challenged by the enormity of our need. Is there anybody able to break the power of the devil and all his hosts? Look what he can do. Just look around. Look again at the Mideast. And all of these wars that keep breaking out and coming up and it's all the time, all the time. And in our own country, there's violence there and then there's violence there. Is anybody able to break that? Is anybody able to reverse the terrible, pervasive effects of the fall in our lives? Death itself? Surely, does he have the power for that? Even after Jesus reassures this man, he is very much able to the, up, up to the task. The man still, all he can manage is, I believe, help my unbelief, a struggle still in me. Belief struggling with unbelief. That's what we find there at the, of, at the foot of the mountain. And, Frankly, that's where we find all the way through the Bible. For some people in the Bible, unbelief has left no room for faith at all. And so you get people like Pharaoh and the other bitter enemies of God's people. There are people like Ahab that want nothing to do with God's word and God's will. And then there are many others in the Bible who have some faith, but it's imperfect. Not just many people in the Bible like that. Every single person in the Bible, except for Jesus himself, falls in that category. The giants of faith, people like Abraham, the father of believers, people like David, the man after God's own heart, people like Peter, the rock. All these people have serious lapses of faith. But enough looking out there. Let's look inside. We too need to admit, don't we, that our faith is not complete. I don't know what the sticking points are for you. It's probably different for each one of us. I know for me there are times when I am sure that my own sins, my own stubbornness, repeating the same things over and again that aren't right, that that's all too great for God to really embrace me, shower his favor upon me, fold his arms around me. There's too much there. It can't be. And I 
was reflecting on that and thinking, that's not just doubting the power of Jesus, but there's a bit of the scribe in that. The idea that we need to attain a certain level of righteousness on our own to be accepted by God. But that can be a struggle for us in our faith. Maybe for you, as for me too, the weakness is like that of the disciples, resting on an occasional declaration of faith, knowing that, yes, we have made that declaration. I have said I believe in Jesus, but then neglecting to wait upon him every minute over and over again. As I was thinking about this, the words of that song came back to me. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Maybe struggle for you is the difficulty in grasping the reality that Jesus is really present with us. We cannot see him. Sometimes for me it's a struggle like Thomas had. If only Jesus were physically present here. If only I could touch him and talk to him. But I struggle to really feel and know the presence of Jesus. Or maybe for you the issue is the pervasive power of evil in some aspect that has touched your life. And there could be some pretty serious things. I I don't know your histories at all, but this fallen world has a million ways of hurting us. And people around us, people in the past in our lives have lots of ways of hurting us. And then there's a pervasive skepticism of everybody around us. Maybe that is the thing that makes it tough Or maybe you're totally disheartened by how hard it is to overcome sinful attitudes and tendencies in yourself. Like the Father, we can wonder whether Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, is powerful enough to really help a person like us. All right, so here's the struggle then. What is the response of Jesus? How does he deal with this? His only response to the carping scribes is exasperated words. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And I suppose there's a little bit of that frustration with the disciples too, but I'm going to show you in a minute. That's not the pervasive thing. But for these scribes, he has no time for them. With the disciples... And with the Father, however, it's a different story. Despite their imperfect faith, Jesus does not cast them off. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, because that means he does not cast us off because of the fact that our faith is not everything it should be. He does not cast them off. Instead, he nurtures their faith. He does that, I believe, in two ways. He speaks and he acts. 
He speaks. He speaks first to reassure the father. You ask if I am able, would I be willing to heal this boy? If I am able, he says. Well, let me tell you. Yes. Frankly, I am able. I can do anything at all. Anything. I can do anything. Period. All things are possible when you are united with me through faith. Now, I do need to stop here because some people have badly misrepresented this text and other texts like it. Jesus does not say that he will help us every time in the way that we want it at the time that we want it. What he does say, though, is that he is able to help and that he will help in his time and in his perfect way. He will help. He will, in fact, as Paul says, give us far more than what we are asking or what we might think. So Jesus speaks. He speaks to reassure. He does it often in the Bible. We need to continue reading those assurances that God gives to us there, that Jesus gives to us. I hope you're reading your scriptures and and reading those promises and, and really taking them to heart. He speaks to us through the encouraging words of brothers and sisters in Christ. Haven't there been people that have come to you and and, and one way or another reminded you and encouraged you. And please note that he is speaking right now, here in this place, to you and to me. I can help. I am willing to help. I will help. Put your faith in me. He speaks also to instruct. He tells the disciples, you needed to pray. He instructs us the same way. Cast your cares on him. In all things, says Paul, by prayer, supplication, bring your requests to God. Let this be an ongoing thing, he instructs them, he teaches them. And he's teaching us today, now. Don't let faith just be something for Sundays or something that you did or say, yes, I do believe. Let it be a living kind of thing where you're constantly waiting upon God, waiting upon Jesus. Certainly we can offer the prayer of the Father. I don't know how many times I have. Not enough. I need to do it more. And you need to do it too. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. At those very moments that we sense that there's something in that in us still that's struggling with this, let's cry it out to Jesus. Help my unbelief. Jesus speaks, and then finally Jesus acts. The New Testament is full of the mighty acts of Jesus. In his ministry on earth, he heals the blind, the deaf, the lame, the leper. He casts out demons. And yes, he raises the dead back to life. 
and his mighty acts continue as described in the book of Acts. There are more miracles there of Jesus. Jesus defends the church against incredible odds, small and vulnerable as it appears to be. And by the power of the Spirit, there are people from all nations beginning to come into the church among God's people. Even Paul comes in and believes. The mighty acts of Jesus. He has shown both his power and his willingness to help his people. And you will see evidence of that now, too. You and I will see that if we can only open our eyes of faith. How often has he not healed you in response to prayer? So often I have prayed, please help me, please heal me, this or that or the other thing. Then it happens, and and I kind of forgot that. Actually, I asked God, I asked Jesus, How many times has he not healed you? How often has he not helped you to overcome temptation? Has he not helped you to grow and to mature past where you were 5 and 10 and 20 years ago? Has he not sent other believers to you just when you kind of needed it? So often, isn't it? There's this thing we're struggling with where we're not sure, and then somewhere, someone comes just out of the blue. No, not out of the blue. Out of that blue, from the hand of Jesus. And did he not, by his Spirit, bring you to life spiritually in the first place when you were dead? You want to talk about miracles. It's bringing you to any measure of faith at all when you were so rebellious by nature. And me too. Jesus sees the Father. He sees his Father with his Son. He sees his own disciples struggling with this belief, disbelief, unbelief. And he doesn't let them flounder. He's not disgusted that they don't get it. He answers the prayer of the Father. Help my unbelief, the Father asks. And Jesus is doing exactly that. He will do that for us too, brothers and sisters. As Isaiah had prophesied, the servant of God would not break the bruised reed or snuff out the smoldering wick. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like a, like a bruised, fragile reed, like a wick that's got a little bit of smoke yet? but not much. He doesn't break the bruised reed or snuff out the smoldering wick. He is gentle with us in our struggle. Let's listen to his words over and over again. Let's be alert to how he's acting, even though it might not be in exactly the way or in the time that we might have hoped. Jesus isn't up there on the mountain. He's not somewhere off, unwilling to engage with our desperation, our frustration, our weak faith, the demons that plague us. He is with us, Emmanuel. So let's not get swallowed up then with a sense of our weakness. Let's not be overwhelmed at the enormity of our problems 
and the struggles that we have, let's look outwards, away from ourselves. Let's look to him. The demons will not destroy us. Jesus is here. In him, all things are possible. And one day, all things will actually be ours as we are face to face with him in a new creation. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Merciful Lord, thank you so much for entering into this troubled world. Thank you for leaving the the glory that you had with the Father to become one with us, to take on our humanity and our struggles. We praise you and thank you that you overcame all those struggles of faith yourself, that you were strong to the end. We thank you that you were perfect and that you did everything that was necessary for our salvation. Help us to look to you, Lord. You know the struggles that we have individually. But help us not to be overwhelmed by those or by the problems around us. But help us to look to you, to be much aware of your presence, to be waiting upon you every day. How we look forward to the day when all things will be made new. And we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Please hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.